Hello, and welcome to the Major Gifts Fundraiser podcast. I'm Monica Van Deventer. Let me tell you a little bit about the tribe we're building here at Major Gifts Fundraiser. We're working with people like you who want to be among the very best in this field. You want to accomplish great things. You want to challenge yourself. You want to grow, and you are up for going on a journey because you know a journey is what it takes to become the very best version of yourself. You're listening to this podcast because you know that in order to be a great fundraiser, you have to spend time thinking about how you'll be a great fundraiser. You can learn more about our new online training programs at majorgiftsfundraiser.com. And without further ado, here's Clark. Buenos dias, mis amigos. Hey, Clark Van Deventer here from Major Gifts Fundraiser. Hope that you are having a great day. Yes. All right. Hey. Van Deventer family has moved. <laughs> Roll Tide, y'all. Can't even believe I'm saying that. Can't believe we live in Alabama? <laughs> like, this is not what I expected. But, all right, but. I am a big believer in doing things that surprise other people. And, and. I'm a big believer in doing things that surprise ourselves. We got to shake things up every now and then. Also, I've been to 49 states, uh, missing Alaska, by the way. So if anyone from Alaska is listening and you want to bring in a consultant to do some work with you, hey, I'm available. All right. But I've been to 49 states and the region of the country I have spent the least amount of time in is the South. And after spending a total of about 40 hours in Tuscaloosa in January, my wife and I put an offer on a house here, and now we live in Alabama. All right, which means I am meeting lots of new people, new neighbors to introduce myself to, new faces at church and at the gym, and everyone wants to know, like, hey, so what do you do? (laughs) All right, my fellow fundraisers, you know this question, right? Like, I have an easy time answering this question when I'm on the road representing an organization, right? Like a donor asks, like, what do you do? And I say, hey, well, we have a big mission at the foundation. We're trying to save the future of the country. We're trying to save souls, change the world, save the planet, right? Like, whatever your mission is, right? So what do you do? And I say, well, we have a big mission at the foundation. And my role is to ensure we have the resources necessary to accomplish our important mission. Boom. Just like that. But with the new neighbors, like, how do I explain to my new neighbors what I do? And, and then they're always like, how did you get into that? And I'm like, I, I've never done anything else. Um, oh, okay. Yes, we have done other things. Uh, if we ever meet in person, I'll tell you about the website we started years ago to cover skiing and snowboarding, and the whole snow sports industry in the Lake Tahoe area. And we actually built a pretty big website. We had a, we had a pretty good presence. We had 12, we had 12 people blogging for us. We had a Facebook page with tens of thousands of likes. Like there was a bit of buzz around this. And then we ended up in federal court. Yeah, not pleasant. Story for another day. (laughs) 
Uh, we've done other things. My wife and I are still involved in different businesses and endeavors, but fundraising is what I do. It's what I've always done. Um, when I was in college, I remember friends coming back after summer break with a bunch of money or, or like whatever it was that I considered a bunch of money when I was in college. And I don't remember what they did, like factory jobs back home, overtime pay. I, I can't really say now. All I know is that they came back to school with money and I came back with less money than I'd had before summer break. I just wasn't motivated by money. Um, summer after my freshman year, I got a, a job as a camp counselor. I, like, I barely made enough money to cover my living expenses that summer, let alone piling any money to like up for the coming school year. After my sophomore year, I landed an internship, which for me was like dream internship. It was right. I was political science major. I was like the, a, a young little Alex P. Keating. And I was going to get a, I, I had an internship at the home of President Ronald Reagan. And, and whether I would take the internship, like I'm offered this internship, whether I would take the internship was never a question. The only question was, how the heck am I going to survive? Like the internship came with a stipend, but not enough to cover my living expenses in Santa Barbara, California. I'm from Indiana, man. But I got in my car and I drove from Indiana to Santa Barbara and I just figured out, figure it out. And that whole summer I was broke, man. I, I got to Santa Barbara, I met the guy I was renting this flea bag of a room from and this flea bag of an apartment. I had a $50 bill and I drove to a nearby, nearby Kmart. What? I, I just heard there's like two Kmarts left in the United States. Drove to a nearby Kmart to buy a few essentials. And later that evening, as I'm settling into my room, I pull up my wallet and I count my money for the next few days. And that's when I realized that when I'd gone to Kmart and paid with a 50, they'd give me change for a 20. <laughs> all right, this was a big deal. That, that was all the money I had, all right? The difference between change for a 50 and change for a 20 is a big deal. I, I went back to Kmart, talked to the manager, um, pleaded my case, and actually kind of amazing, she told me, that uh, I could come back in the morning after she'd counted the drawers and that if the drawer was $30 over, she would know that I was telling the truth. And the next morning, like I'm in the parking lot waiting for the store to open. And she looks out as she comes to unlock the door. She sees me out there and she walks out and hands me 30 bucks. Like, and I, I was so relieved. Um, later that summer, I was at work one day and I'm there, but I'm like kind of worried the whole time because I I had I just knew the reality was that I had enough I had enough money uh, and I had enough gas in my car to get home that night, but not enough to get back the next day. Um, and I'm just kind of thinking, like, what am I going to do tomorrow? And that day at work, I happened to be spending the day with some donors. Um, and right, I'm, this is Reagan Ranch. Um, I'm taking some donors through the president's home. And I, I, I can tell you this couple's name right now. I, I 
like got to know them over the years, would later spend time with them at their home in Chicago, their home in Florida. Um, and when I got to know them in that in those settings, right, I was like the young hot shot in my first development job. But at this point, I'm just an intern, a 19-year-old college intern who didn't have enough gas to get to work the next day. Um, at the end of the day, I shake his hand and there's a hundred dollar bill in his hand. It was a personal gratuity for our time together. All right. We, we later amended our policy at the Reagan ranch on uh, how we handled gratuities. Um, but man, that day, that hundred bucks was important. Um, that summer, that summer was awesome. I, I went back the following summer, um, and at that point, it was clear I was going to end up taking a job there. Uh, my uh, the, the second summer, it was like a full-on development internship. And, and I was getting great training. I was going to the best uh, fundraising conferences in the country, getting training from the best fundraising consultants in the country. My uh, mentor, the late, great Gerald Panis. But man, that summer, that summer was... Uh, it's just, yeah, it was a great summer. Uh, I grew up in Indiana. Simple background, simple upbringing. My parents are humble people. And that summer, even though I'm broke, like I, I'm, I'm hanging out at cocktail receptions at the Four Seasons, right? Here I am, this 19-year-old intern, and... Um, this organization is just putting me putting me out there right in front of all of their donors. I'm a 19-year-old intern, and I'm like hanging out with people who are giving thousands of dollars to to the Reagan Ranch three, four, five days a week, four, five, six hours a day. Uh, and at the time, I didn't know much about fundraising. Like I'm, I'm a kid, right? Uh, but I'm there, and I'm passionate. Um, end of the summer, I go back to Indiana, back to school. Um, but the right, the Reagan Ranch people, they start flying me back to Santa Barbara for long weekends and donor events. I fly to West Palm Beach for a donor event. I'm still broke, but I'm having the time of my life. All right, I go back that next summer, another internship. I test out of some classes, get the dean of the college to sign off on me overloading my course schedule. Thank you, Jerry Pattengale. Uh, graduate early and moved to Santa Barbara, right? Join the staff of the Reagan Ranch. Uh, I fly in, I remember this. So I graduate early. I graduate in December, finished college in three and a half years. I fly to Santa Barbara on a, on a Wednesday. I don't start work until Monday, but I fly in on Wednesday. And the first place I go is to the office. Cause like, uh, why not? I am there, you know, right. Um, and the guy who's going to be my boss, Floyd Brown. Floyd's like, hey, Clark, we got donors coming in tomorrow. And you want to take them to the ranch? You want to take care of them? All right, I don't start until Monday. It's Wednesday afternoon. I just landed. He's like, you want to take care of these donors tomorrow? I'm like, sure. <laughs> Let's do it. So I go in the next day, spend six hours with these people. I still remember their name. Great people. They had actually, um, they had never even given. They were prospective donors. And at the end of our time together that day, they committed. Like I just remember this so clear as day. This is 20 years ago. Uh, end of our time together, 
they committed to a gift of $10,000. And I remember being back in the office that evening with the staff and they're all toasting me and there's this celebratory feel in the air and it was awesome. It was a lot of years ago now, a lot of water under the bridge, but man, I wish I could go back to that moment. That was a special moment. Uh, and over the next several years in that job, I had a lot of those moments. It was like it was a special time in my life. Met my wife. We got married. Um, my boss, Floyd Brown, emceed our wedding reception. I had donors at our wedding. Gifts got bigger, right? Twenty thousand dollars, a hundred thousand dollars, quarter a million. Like I, I say these dollar amounts. I I can tell you the donors' names. 20,000. I remember the first $20,000 gift. I remember the first $100,000 gift. I remember the first quarter million. I remember the first half million. I remember the first million. Um, and at this point in my life, like from, from high school through like mid twenties, uh, it was like everything I touched turned to gold. I had my dream job. I'm 26, 27 years old now, and I'm making more money than I think my dad ever did any single year of his entire life. And now I'm the deputy director of the Reagan Ranch. Uh, the, <laughs> the, I ran into this little problem, though. I, I didn't didn't want it anymore. Uh, and I quit. Um, and there's I, we could get into the whole reason about why I didn't want it and what I, what I thought I was going to do, but never ended up doing. Um, People thought I was crazy, and some people were even mad at me. But I could only come up with one reason to stay in the job, and it was the paycheck. And I really came to this place, and it was a pretty jarring realization. I just decided that if I stayed in that job only for a paycheck, I remember the like words that I used. It was like, if I stay in this job only for a paycheck... I'm going to be a shell of a man. So I'm 27 years old. I have a newborn baby. This is, this is, my son was born November 2nd. This is like December. <laughs> I'm wrestling with quitting. Um, and, and my boss, my big boss, Ron Robinson was flying in from Washington, DC. First week of January. I was going to be meeting with them. And um, I, first week of January, I quit. Um, someone once asked me if I knew how hard things would get over the next few years if I'd still had quit. Because things got pretty rough for our family. Things did not work out as I planned. By the way, I, I quit right at the front end of the Great Recession. And someone asked, like, if you knew how hard it was going to get, would you have quit? And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm glad I didn't know. <laughs> like, I was perhaps overly optimistic. Um, but have you ever heard of this idea of failing forward? I love the idea of failing forward. By the way, great book by John Maxwell called Failing Forward. You just keep failing forward. Keep trying things that don't quite work, but they keep propelling you forward. And that's what I did for the next few years. I just kept failing forward. Um, and then I'm 30. All right, so fast forward, I'm now 30 years old, actually just like March 1st. I turned 30 on March 4th. On March 1st, a few days before my 30th birthday, 
I stood before a crowd in Santa Barbara, announced that I was a candidate for United States Congress. And I went all in, baby. Cashed out the little retirement savings I had for my family to survive on while I became a full-time congressional candidate. I mean, I was searching for meaning and significance and work that mattered. So like, what? Retirement savings? Like, retirement savings compared to meaning and significance and work that mattered like man to right to me personally meaning significance and work that matters is way more valuable than retirement savings so like that was it was not hard for me to cash in my retirement um but my my life at this point is like a house of cards um uh I put the pedal to the metal with my congressional campaign, actually spin it into debt, believing that we were going to win. When I lost, we were broke, and I had no idea what I was going to do next. Um, And my wife and I, at that time, now we have two kids, couldn't pay our mortgage. We rented out our house and moved into my in-law's garage. And I decided that I was going to get out of nonprofit work. Like I was, I was just burnt out on fundraising. By the way, um, man, there's a great book called uh, Spirituality of Fundraising by Henry Nowen. Short little book. Um, he talks about um, like begging for money and a donor merely handing you a check. Um, if, if we have the wrong mentality of fundraising. And if there was ever a time in my life I felt like I was merely begging for money and a donor was merely handing me a check, it was my congressional campaign. And that's what burnt me out on fundraising. If you, if you ever find yourself in a position where you feel burnt out on fundraising, my guess is that you are, you are merely begging for money and a donor is merely handing you a check. Uh, and so this is the point in my life when I'm like, I'm done. I'm like, I'm done. I'm, I'm getting out of this. And that's um, when my wife and they just started doing lots of other things. Uh, we did lots of things. I became a credit card processing rep, not glamorous work. Um, but at that time, I, I would occasionally get contacted by an organization who'd ask me to help them with something. And like, we, we needed the money, right? So I, I couldn't say no. And I'd, I'd go in and I'd train development staff for these different organizations. And at this, like, I'm not gonna stay in the business. And my ego had been stripped away. And so I just felt free to talk about things. I, I talked about things I'd struggled with in my career. I mean, like, yeah, I'd had some success, but success comes with pressure, uh, pressure to continue performing. Um, in, in my own career, that pressure led me to make some mistakes with donors. And this is stuff that I uh, hadn't previously talked about, but stuff that I now felt free to admit. So I'm going in and talking with these organizations, uh, spending two, three, four days with their staff talking about how to raise money, how to work with donors, the challenges that come with a fundraising job. This is going back uh, 2011, 2012, 2013. But I didn't think I was going to keep doing this. Like it was just a bridge. It was my, it was like my way out of the nonprofit world until I got other things going. 
Um, but I would go in and talk to these groups and then three or four months later, they'd want me back. And six months later, they'd want me back. And another group would say they heard what I did for such and such organization and they, they'd want me to come in. And right, we needed the money, so I'd do it. Um, but then something else happened. And it was like, I, I actually like doing this, I felt alive. Um, all those years earlier, before the in-laws garage, before I ran for Congress, um, when I was 27 years old and had the dream job, and I confused the heck out of people by quitting, I quit because I realized that success was a phantom. Making money or being successful wasn't enough for me. I wanted to feel alive. I wanted to do work that I felt passionate about, work that I felt like I was born to do, like work that I felt like only I could do, right? Like this was just what I was born to do. And I had this feeling that I had something in me that I needed to give the world and I wasn't giving it in that job. And for some reason, I'd never be able to give it. And so I quit that job and then quite by accident and taking these gigs and training organizations how to raise money, I was doing it. Um, yeah, I'm, guys, I'm, I just know I'm a good fundraiser. Uh, I can go into a meeting and I, I just have that ability to connect with a donor. At, right, I ask my strategic questions. I listen to gift. All those things. Um, and, and my mentor, Jerry Pandas wrote the book born to raise, which I love and highly recommend to you. Um, and yes, I'm born to raise, but I also started to realize I'm, I'm born to train and the calls just kept coming in and I kept hopping on flights and I'd go to this organization or that organization. And then over time, these groups that I'd been working with for a while, they started to see not just marginal improvements in their fundraising, right? Like they, they brought me in and they saw marginal increases in their fundraising. And so they brought me in again and they saw marginal increases again. And they brought me in again and they saw marginal increases again. But now they started to see exponential jumps. All right. So I, I'm looking at this and I'm like, okay, well, yeah, gifts are back. Big gifts are backlogged. It takes time for big gifts to develop. Uh, but the numbers across the board were pretty astounding. And what I realized is that the stuff that I was training on helped. Each of the pieces worked, right? Like, hey, just do this. Like, if you just will start asking strategic questions, right? You're going to be more successful. If you will just listen the gift and make it your goal to, to only talk 25% of the time and be actively listening 75% of the time. If you'll just do this, do these things to work on getting more meetings, right? If you'll just do this in terms of like asking the four um, closing questions after you ask for a gift, right? If you do any of these things, just do one, right? Just do one of these things. You're going you're gonna to be better. But when you put it all together, like it works exponentially better. The sum was greater than the whole of, what's the phrase? The sum was greater than the whole of the parts. Right? Like each of the parts was valuable. 
But if it's 1 plus 1 plus 1 plus 1 plus 1 equals 5, right? In this case, it was 1 plus 1 plus 1 plus 1 plus 1 equals 10. Putting all the parts back in, the thing is whole and much more useful than the pile of parts was before. So we began to examine the parts and organize them into a system. So I can give you a part and that part will be useful. That's kind of what we do on this podcast, right? Like this podcast is me giving you parts and every part that I give you is valuable and it's useful, but the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. All right, I got, I, by the way, I have to give credit where credit is due. Biggest shift we made in our business, Major Gifts Fundraiser, in the past four years was making my wife, Monica, the CEO. All right, I used to fancy myself a CEO. We live in an age where being a CEO is kind of cool. When I first quit my job at the Reagan Ranch, I bought these like skinny jeans and trendy shirts. We live in an age where being a CEO is kind of cool, right? Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, these guys are cool. I mean, they're kind of eccentric, but they're kind of cool. I mean, I'm kind of eccentric too. And in the first 10 years or so of our business, my wife viewed me as a consultant and herself as someone who kind of helped out with my work. But my wife is a systems person. She's an architect by training. She has the mind of an engineer. And she was the one who wanted to step back and figure out how all these parts worked and what happened when you put them together in just the right way. Right. So after years of working with nonprofit organizations, right, primarily in development positions and positions responsible for fundraising, and then more years as a consultant to nonprofits. I figured out that what people need is not an inspiring talk on fundraising. I, I mean, you hear a talk, you go to a lecture or a seminar, and it's great. But you need more than brilliant words. You need a plan. You need actionable steps to get you where you want to be. And and. You need someone to help you implement that plan. Um, but I can't take credit for figuring that out. It was Monica who figured out that. Um, and that's why I'm the chief fundraising coach, a major guest fundraiser, and she's the CEO. All right. Hey, one of my favorite lines from the book of Proverbs. I love this. And this is my life. In his heart, a man will plan his course, but the Lord determines his steps. Uh, by the way, uh, that doesn't say don't plan a course. In his heart, a man will plan his course, but the Lord determines his steps. Um, if you have not watched the Steve Jobs Stanford commencement address, go to YouTube, like finish this podcast, but then, and then go to YouTube. Go to YouTube and just watch it. Um, just type in Steve Jobs Stanford commencement. It'll come up. It's a great speech, 10, 12 minutes long. It was kind of a TED Talk before there were TED Talks. Um, 
there's this line I always think about. You can't connect the dots looking forward. Okay, this is Steve Jobs, right? You can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking backward. So you have to trust that the dots will somehow connect in your future. You have to trust in something, your gut, destiny, life, karma, whatever. Because, because believing that the dots will connect down the road will give you the confidence to follow your heart even when it leads you off the well-worn path. And that will make all the difference. Guys, I, do you know how far off the well-worn path? Like if I want to become the, the greatest fundraising coach of my generation, which is, yeah, it's what I, what I want to do. Like I want to be the Jerry Panis of my generation. Um, like if I, if I want to be the greatest fundraising coach of my generation, like, and I'm going to do that by, by becoming a credit card processing sales rep and starting a website about skiing in Lake Tahoe. And, and, and then I'm going to do some coaching on the side while my family is traveling around Thailand. What? <laughs> right. But Believing that the dots will connect down the road will give you the confidence to follow your heart even when it leads you off the well-worn path. And Steve Jobs could have never known when he dropped out of college and took a calligraphy class how important that class would later be to developing the typography of Macintosh computers. I could have never connected my own dots looking forward. 20 plus years ago, I'm a sophomore in college, and there was this couple who'd graduated from my school a few years earlier, uh, and they were still around. Um, yeah, I mean, there was a group of us that kind of, that we thought they were pretty cool, right? They were just a couple of years older than us, recent graduates, doing entrepreneurial stuff, creative people, and they had started a little cafe and bookstore called Tree of Life. Uh, I got a job there. I loved coffee. I loved books. Right? Great job for me. Uh, that couple, uh, Darren, Darren and Nancy, uh, we stayed connected over the years. A little more than a year ago, I ran into Darren at a conference. Hadn't seen him in probably 10 years. Um, he started a company that was producing beautiful online courses for colleges. All right, he'd done other things. Tree of Life had grown in amazing ways. They were doing awesome stuff. Uh, lots of awesome stuff. Um, but he had created this separate company that was producing these beautiful online courses for colleges. Um, and these aren't online Zoom classes, right? These are beautiful cinematic courses, all right? So we had our online training programs at Major Guest Fundraiser that we had decided it was time to level up. Um, going back to 2018, we had we had produced these programs and the, the content was great. Like, it was awesome. Like, can I say that? Like, it was awesome. Um, the production quality was, uh, it was the best we could do at the time. All right. But um, the people who got in and, and 
got the content, right? If they could overlook the production quality, the people who got in and looked at the content, they were like, wow, the, like this is great, right? Like it, it was transformative. Um, so we, we wanted to bring the, right, the level of the production up to the level of the content. Um, and we wanted to improve the content, right? We wanted, we wanted to take a fresh look at it. This was a chance to tweak, to refine, to tighten up. Um, and we, right. If we're going to go in, let's, let's do it right. Um, we wanted to level up the content. We wanted to level up the production quality. We wanted to level up the user experience. And so we were kind of like looking for someone to do this with us. Um, and then like I run into Darren at a conference and Darren has a company that creates beautifully produced online content. I've known Darren for 20 years. Of course, Darren's going to produce our content, right? This was like a no brainer. You can't connect the dots looking forward, right? I, I didn't know that 20 years ago when I became a barista at Tree of Life. You can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking backward. All right, like if you have not watched the trailer for these programs, you've got to go to our website and watch the trailer. Uh, we shot these courses from my home in Lake Tahoe. Backdrop is amazing. Um, but by the way, like we still have our home in Tahoe. We still have connections there. Our home is on Airbnb when we're not there. Um, Tahoe is still a base for us. We continue to toy with the idea of doing some sort of symposium or gathering of right our, our clients and network in Lake Tahoe. Just kind of planting that seed for you. Um, but go check out the trailer to our programs at MajorGiftsFundraiser.com. Uh, you can enroll in these courses, right? You enroll and you can start immediately. Uh, and we have two currently available. The Noble Call of Fundraising is only 95 bucks. Peak Performance Fundraising. This is a robust program. Like this isn't passive. This is like, this is a program, a system. Uh, $14.95 price on that one. Um each of these courses are broken down into separate modules that come with challenge questions and action steps. And you can go through these on your own or you can you can actually go through these with me uh, where I get on a weekly call with you. Um, I was on a call with an organization this week. We're going through the challenge questions, right? We're wrestling with them. We're owning it, um, right? So it, it's like, right? We don't just like watch the content, right? It's like, okay, how do we apply this thinking to us? And there's these two youngish development associates on the call, right? We have a, a part-time employee and an intern. Uh, so the, the call's being led, right? The, like our, our main audience, our primary audience on the call is the development director, but these other two people are on the call. And at the end of the call, I say something to them like, hey, I know this may seem theoretical to you, but I'm trying to shape the way you think, right? Because our thoughts determine our actions, which that's a big deal. For me, that's one of my things lately. Our thoughts determine our actions. Um, and, but I'm, I'm talking to these two and I'm kind of hedging a bit. Um, and uh, this one guy jumps in. He just jumps in. He's like, no, no, this, like, this call has been super helpful. I can see how I'm going to be in situations with donors. And like, this is going to guide my actions. Like, it was just so cool. Um so go check out these programs at MajorGiftsFundraiser.com. That's MajorGiftsFundraiser.com. Hey, as always, 
If you have questions for me, just email me. Email is Clark at MajorGiftsFundraiser.com. That's Clark at MajorGiftsFundraiser.com. Hey, thanks so much for listening. Have a great day. All right, Monica here again. If you like what you heard on this podcast, you'll love our online training programs. You can complete our online training programs at your own pace, and you can watch or listen to them from any device. And unlike that last conference you attended, the challenge questions and action steps that come with each of our modules will give you concrete things you can do today to level up as a fundraiser. You'll raise more money than ever before by developing deeper donor relationships than you ever thought possible. So head over to majorguestfundraiser.com to buy now. Thanks for listening.